0: Now we turn to chapter 3, but let me read first a few verses for us. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil walkers, beware of the mutilations. For we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Amen. Verse 1, it says, finally, but don't be fooled by that word because we have two more chapters to go. Finally, and it reminds me of my when I was a youth pastor a long time ago. And whenever I said to my youth group, hey guys, let's pray. Soon they found out. After I said that, usually I think about something and I'll talk for another 20 minutes. So one of the students told me, Are we really going to pray? (laughs) Finally, it's like that. He says, finally, but he will go on for two more chapters. Verse 1, I will skip. I wrote something about that, but let's go to verse 2. Today, I am going to spend our time in verse 2, but actually the first phrase. Once you understand, you will understand the rest. So verse 2 says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil walkers. Beware of the mutilation. I am sure when you read that verse, your eyes will go to those words. Rather offensive words. Dogs. Evil walkers. And the mutilation. It is a shocking description. But also, pay attention to that word that is repeated three times. Beware, beware, beware. Be on the lookout. Keep watching, that's what he's saying. Pretty important when he repeats something three times. Beware, beware, and beware. Chapter 2, we saw Apostle Paul talking about good examples. In chapter 3 now, as you see, he will warn them of false teachers and false brothers. So he's simply being a pastor. He commands the good examples But he will call out and condemn false gospel and false brothers. That's what he is doing. I mean, even as I was preparing, I didn't know what to say about these terms. I mean, I kind of knew. But how are we supposed to deal with it when apostle calls someone or some group dogs? But when you study these terms, mutilation, and he says we are the true circumcision, and he talks about his own Jewish pedigree, all of that point to the same group. He used three different words, but he's referring to the same group that we know of them as Judaizers or narrowly circumcision group, circumcision party. They are the ones who insisted that you must be circumcised or obey the law of Moses to be saved. Small group within the church who would insist upon circumcision and Mosaic law. Not the Gentile believers. They wouldn't know that. No idea. But the instigators were always Jewish background Christians. Not only that, who will insist upon other believers that they have to obey the law? Not simply people with Jewish backgrounds, but who really try to obey the law of God before conversion. That's right, Pharisees. So look at Acts 15. This will give us a good background. We need to know this. Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea and they are in Antioch right now and began teaching the brethren. So, Judaizers are not Jewish Christians. They are smaller sect, but they are the teachers. They are the preachers. Someone with authority within the church. What do they say? Unless you are circumcised, According to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Again, they are teaching the brethren that message. They agree it is Jesus who saves, but there is an extra that you must do. So, what do they do? Paul and Barnabas, verse 2, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension, they fought and debate with them. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. They were being sent on their way by the church. They were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren when they arrived at Jerusalem. That's the mother church. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But listen, who's standing up? But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, who were converted. Now they are Christians, but their background is not simply Jewish background, but they were Pharisees, the elite group of teachers. Who adhere to the law of Moses strictly. They are the ones. They stand up, saying, they stood up and saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. This is like general assembly. Verse 6 the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you and that by by my, my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, Testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. Great equalizer was the Holy Spirit. God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, but also to us. That's te- uh, te- uh, Peter's testimony. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Very important. Underline that. Cleansing their hearts by faith. Justification by faith, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. All the people kept silent. By that, I would also take that to mean some of the Pharisee group were not happy. They were just keeping it quiet. They would agree, but they were not happy. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating, re- relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. That's the background. Beware of the dogs. I am not here to excuse him. I am not going to defend Paul. But let's just Think about that, dogs. Can you tell me a culture where calling someone a dog is a praise? If someone calls you, you are are a lion, you are a tiger, you are like a wolf, that could be a praise. But someone calling you a dog, I don't know. Well, any culture would affirm that. So dogs, in general, in ancient cultures, were despised because they would eat anything, especially dead animals and people. So enemies of Israel were insulted by being compared to, and they were called, as dogs. Psalm 22, verse 16, very famous account of Jezebel, what happens to her. So dogs, in Jewish thinking, they are unclean and they, they, they are really unworthy. They are unworthy animals. So when Paul says, watch out, beware of the dogs, What he is saying, what he is doing is he's calling out that group, Judaizers, who will look down upon Gentile Christians, Christians who have Gentile backgrounds, who do not purify themselves according to the Mosaic law, who are not circumcised. And as they look down upon them before the conversion, they still do that after the conversion toward other believers, and I don't know how many people would say it out loud, but in their hearts they were thinking about Gentile believers as dogs, and Paul is calling them you are in fact dogs, evildoers, and mutilation. So Paul is simply returning the designation back to them. It is not simply what I am saying. It is all the commentators are saying. Funny thing is this. Remember Philippian church, how it came to be. On the Sabbath day, Paul and his team went out to pray. But they couldn't find a synagogue in Philippi. Everywhere else, Paul, whenever he goes, wherever he goes, he would go into the synagogue. But in Philippi, there was no such thing, so they went to the riverside. So he shared the gospel with Lydia and a group of ladies, and Lydia was converted. What does that tell you? Philippi didn't have 10 Jewish males, which would be the minimum quorum, to constitute and begin a synagogue. So it was basically Gentile background church Philippian church is predominantly people full of Gentile background, Greek background, whatever background but not many Jewish background there could be some but not many but Paul is warning them of the dogs who are coming maybe they were there already but I don't think so, not many people think so it was just a symptom. These people will travel around. These people were converted from Pharisee background. But they will come and they will teach the church and they will look down upon the Gentile believers and say, you guys are really dogs. Unless you do circumcision and unless you abide by the purity laws and, and dietary laws, you guys are you guys are dirty. So Paul is saying, "Watch out! Watch out! They are coming." First observation is this: <clears throat> Whenever you see, Acts fifteen, and you will see in Galatians two, these people, Judaizers, was small in numbers, but very, very powerful and influential. Their small number. But powerful. <clears throat> Why? Because they're strict. It looks more pious. They look more powerful. Because they have all kinds of laws that they, they abide by. So Gentile believers will look at them and say, wow, they don't act like us. They pray in certain way. They dress up in certain way. They do these motions and they do that. So, wow, I don't do that. So they look more powerful, spiritually powerful. That's why people listen to them. Small in number, but Bible's warning is this. Don't you know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? So we need to watch out. Now, the problem with calling Gentile believers as dogs, whether out loud or in their own hearts, silently, that's, uh, that's what we call racism. Based upon, this is a bit complicated because this problem is religious problem too. It's not strictly race, racial Problem, But as you will see in Galatians 2, I think every reason to believe, uh, to call it as racism. Let's look at it. Galatians 2. This is very, very important. This will really form a basis for us today. Galatians 2. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men. You see, not many. Certain men came from James. Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. Why? Because he was freed from that. Remember the vision he saw before he went to Cornelius' house? God called it clean. So he has no problem eating with the Gentile believers. But when they came, who? Certain men from James. He began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. He removed himself from other brothers, Gentile believers, and and went to another party. The rest of the Jews, that's Jewish Christians. Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Everyone. If you are one of these Gentile believers, how would you feel? The great apostle Peter suddenly stands up, and he goes to the Jewish brothers, Barnabas, all the Jewish Christians, removing themselves from Gentile believers, sending them a wrong message. Paul is Paul and he will stand up and and say this verse 14. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, this is the key. If you being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like? Jews. It was always confusing to me what that verse, what he was saying. But it's simply saying, they were not acting straightforward with the truth of the gospel, betray the gospel, betray other believers, Gentile believers. But his charge is this, if Peter, Peter, if you're a Jew, and you don't live like, or you live like Gentiles now, and not like the Jews. You used to, but you don't. That's the point. You don't live like Jews because you are saved from that. And you really live like Gentiles now. But what are you doing? He's charging him of doing this. How is it then? How is it that? You compel the Gentiles to live like Jews out of that gospel compromise, what you are doing, Peter, what you are doing is you are compelling Gentiles to live like Jews, become like Jews. There's a line drawn. Whatever the cause, religious cause, law, rights, whatever it is, the end result of that is you are asking Gentiles to become like Jews. Racial barrier, this is you are telling them to become like a Jew. That really is a racism. And let me give my working definition of racism. Racism, you could give multiple definitions, but mine is this. Despising others as inferior than you because of their race. There are all kinds of racisms and regional, ethnic, national. We talked about it briefly last week. But here, they may say, well, we are not being a racist we are really talking about the law of Moses. That's their excuse. It could be. But the end result is that you are telling them to become a Jew. From Paul's perspective, charge is really one of racism, no matter the cause. I don't care what caused them to act this way, but in effect, you are telling all Gentiles that you are inferior than the Jewish race, ethnically, whatever you want to call it, nation whether lack of law, mosaic law, rights, purity, whatever it is, they are still looking down upon them and say, you are not like us. You don't eat like us. You don't act like us. So you are inferior than us. So you are telling, Peter, you are telling them to become a Jew first. Act like a Jew. And then you could become a full Christian. So this really is a, a racism issue as well. There are many when you think about it. Jerusalem church in Acts 6 had Gratian Jews and Hebraic Jews. They fought. Romans, why was Romans written? So that Paul could expound on the justification to a Roman church that he has never been to. Yes, he was trying to get a missions fund so that he could go to Spain but the, one of the main reasons was to show them how Jewish people and how Greek background barbarians, they are all sinners alike. Corinthian church had a problem. Galatian church, they had a problem. Ephesian church had that problem. Philippian church had that problem when it was coming. Colossian church had that problem. When you look at it, in all Paul's epistles, you see all of the churches suffering from some kind of division. And the main one was that. Greek Christians and Jewish Christians didn't get along, couldn't get along. It was very difficult for them to to overcome that Jewish background. We heard Peter's speech in Acts 15. We couldn't live like that. We don't live like that. It was by the grace of Christ we were saved. So that's that. And as I was studying Galatians, I found something very interesting, and I I have given you the thesis of it in my title. Racism, often we think of it as hatred. Hatred. Racism is bad and wrong because it is, a, it is hatred. It is bad. But I discovered that racism really stems from the wrong theology, knowledge of God and knowledge of self, but at the same time, wrong theology of justification by faith alone. That is the key, wrong view or denial of justification by faith alone. Look at remainder of Galatians 2. Verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. That's the traditional view, that's Jewish view. Look at verse 16. But now what Paul will talk about after charging Peter, Peter, you are asking them to become a Jew. And then he is correcting them. Paul uh, Peter is not Judaizer, but he, under pressure, acted like one. And he is correcting all of them by expounding. Sola fide. A man is justified by faith alone. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, we read this already. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is justified by the works, not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus and stuff. What does that have to do with race or racism? Oftentimes, when we read this section, we think about, wow, sola fide. A man is saved by faith alone. But the implication of what Paul is saying is this. To correct Peter's hypocrisy, he is saying to require someone to become a Jew first is to introduce works, salvation by works, instead of salvation by faith alone in Christ Jesus. That's what you are getting it wrong. You are saying Gentile believers are not cleansed by faith alone in Christ alone. Instead, you introduce circumcision. What is circumcision? That is salvation by works. So you got salvation by faith alone wrong, Peter. Judaizers, why did Paul fight against them so many in so many places? Why would he call them dogs? because they are introducing works into pure gospel so here a man is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified from galatians 2 Poor soul, Peter's hypocrisy, not simply as offensive. That's not the issue. It's not any other problem, but it is the gospel issue, but in a narrow sense. Peter, you are denying Sola fide. You are introducing whatever the cause is, the reason why you are embarrassed about you eating with the Gentile brothers and you withdraw yourself and go to Jewish brothers because now the James' men came, you fear them, is because you are not acting like these brothers were cleansed by faith alone. For Paul, you introduce, add anything unto justification by faith alone, that's a false gospel. Treating Gentile Christians as dirty really is the denial of the gospel of free grace in Christ alone, by faith alone. Because you are saying they are dirty, ceremonially dirty, whatever. Because even after justification, you are saying they are still not clean, cleansed, saved. So you are saying the walk of Christ is not sufficient. We are not talking about racism in the world. We are talking about racism within the church. Racism is a justification issue. Did you know? I didn't really know until this week as I was thinking about this. Galatians 3. 26. Oh, I didn't give you. But it says this, Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Jewish Christians, Greek Christians, Gentile Christians... We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's the only qualifier. And you come from James and you introduce works, dietary laws. We talked about this when we were going through the book of Acts. It was not easy. So one of the reasons why Paul expounds on sola fide everywhere in his epistles is not so much not so much, let me give you lecture, systematic theology, but to correct the barrier, to correct the legalists, Judaizers. Forget about all the laws and your upbringings and your pedigrees. They mean nothing. It is by faith in Christ alone, we are one in Christ. That's why he's expounding on the... Uh, Justification. Let me give you a few observations in sequence. So, inference number two. By definition, then, claiming to be a Christian and yet being a racist is an oxymoron, it cancels each other out. One cannot be both. Not primarily because racism is hatred and Christianity is love, though that's true. If someone says, I love God and hates brother, he's a liar. But more importantly, that person who claims to be a Christian is not a Christian in the fact that he does not know what the free grace in Christ Jesus offered to us as justification by faith alone. Probably that person has no idea what it means to be a Christian. So grace plus circumcision is no grace. It does not matter whether it's a drop of poison or a gallon of poison. Poison is poison. Still, you cannot drink the water. It is confusing because in the name of Christ, church, kingdom of God, so many people do that. They justify their racist heart in the name of Christ. And I'm confused. And I know you are confused too. This week, their famous singer I saw a picture. I didn't listen to the whole thing. Had an interview. He zipped himself up all the way with covering. I don't know what that is. He covered himself up. And he's been saying some things and What I saw in that table was the Bible. And you see that kind of flags confounding nationalism, racism with the Bible, Christ, church, Jesus. I mean, based upon what I've told you, we don't have to be confused. That person is not a Christian, period. Inference number three. How can a church protect itself from racism? I read a book about that. Really, it was not helpful. How can a church protect itself from racism? I would simply say, by holding fast to the free grace that is offered in the gospel through faith alone. Paul's prescription was always... Sola Fide. Whenever you see that kind of problem, Judaizers, whenever he mentions them, you will always find him expounding on the Sola Fide. That's why in Philippians right now, we didn't read chapter 3, verse 9, he talks about another righteousness that comes from faith. You have to tie that together. He's not talking about systematic theology. But your problem is really not grasping that. So how can a church protect itself from racism? By everyone studying it and going deeply into that free grace, free salvation in Christ. So justification is not simply an individual issue. Oh, you are justified, you go to heaven. You are not justified, you go to hell. Justification, in Paul's perspective, it is more than that. It is that, let us not deny that, but it is a communal issue. Justification holds the community together, unity together. It protects us from racism. Racism cannot penetrate the church of Jesus Christ when everybody knows that everyone and each one is justified by faith alone. There is no superiority in any other way, in any other method, whether it's race, socioeconomic ladder, whatever it is, whatever you belong to. No, everyone is a sinner. That's how you protect yourself from racism as a church. Inference number four. If you claim yourself to be a Christian, obviously I'm not talking to you, but yet call other people dogs or equivalent then the Bible condemns you and calls you as dogs. That's what Paul is doing. You become the object of your hatred and away from the image of Christ. Inference number five I said this. You add one thing, it, become, it destroys the gospel. But in Acts 15, what did they say? Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They are called circumcision party. They are not insisting upon 613 Jewish commandments. They are not saying, all Gentile brothers, sisters, you need to keep all the laws to be saved. That's not what they are saying. Some. Some. Chief one, circumcision. But there could be Many. So what insight can we gain from this? It's not all the commandments, but something that the Jewish Christians or the Pharisee group cherished. Something from their perspective they cannot compromise, such as circumcision. So we have to root out all the bitter roots from us that we may cherish but we may be blind to it. We may not know it because we are in it. We cherish that so much. And one of the things that I really didn't like from my previous life was that church will observe 40-day Lent. I don't know what your view is. 40 days of doing something, in my context, 40 days of early prayer meeting every day. You have to wake up at 4.30 and you go to church every day for 40 days. But I thought that, in fact, was destroying the confidence in the gospel. Though it may be good in some sense, it was very detrimental to the understanding of the full gospel. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Let's move on. Inference number six. The madness of the circumcision group is their lack of understanding that now in the new covenant, baptism has replaced the circumcision. Colossians two eleven through 12. In whom you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without ends. In the removal of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ, that's death of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. What was circumcision? <laughs> circumcision was the sign. As such, it pointed to the circumcision of the heart. From the inception, circumcision was never about circumcision, but it was pointing to the circumcision. They couldn't get on their own strength, All Israel failed, and it was God who was going to circumcise their hearts, correct? But now Judaizers will still insist upon circumcision. The madness of it is that not only they are holding on to the shadowy things of Christ, of the Old Testament, but they are denying substance that is Christ. They are denying circumcision of the heart. So what were they really insisting upon? by telling everybody to be circumcised, and the Greek Christians, Gentile Christians, you need to be circumcised. But what are they really saying? When you are circumcised, you are saved. In what sense? You see, they don't understand what the gospel is. Even if you are circumcised, even if you obey the mosaic circumcision, or the law and the circumcision, what could they possibly achieve? Zero. So it just tells us Judaizers just just didn't understand anything. They denied more than anything the sufficiency of Christ's atoning death and new birth. In verse number seven, even Peter stumbled. It's a sobering fact. Even Barnabas fell. Again, they are not Judaizers. They will not proclaim false gospel. But they were carried away. Think about it why? For the fear of those men. Why would Peter fear them? Think about it. What's at stake? Peter is the chief apostle. Nobody could really stand up against him. How can can he fear men from James? It was the pressure. What kind of pressure? Acceptance, approval, respect, his standing, not in Gentile church, but with his folks, his kin, his own reputation at stake. That's what was at stake. That particular pressure is strong. And if you belong to certain group you would understand that such pressure is really strong. He didn't have to. But probably Peter was thinking, if they go back to Jerusalem and tell everybody that I was eating with Gentile Christians, what would, what would they think about me? After all, I'm, I'm Peter. So acceptance, approval. So, I don't know how many Christians will identify themselves as I'm a racist. But when you remove yourself from the church, and let's say you go back to work, and you belong to that work group, you identify with them, then suddenly there is an extra pressure upon you to go along. That's how it works. In church, you may not be that. But when you are with your folks, whatever, whoever they are, it creates that pressure. And you will stay quiet, you'll remain quiet, or even you will go along. So watch out for that. What is Peter standing means nothing. Self forgetfulness is that. Inference number eight, we read from Philippians not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Do that in regard to the racism as well. Let me make a conclusion then. That's the dogs. If you understand where Paul was coming from, if that group will come into a church, it will divide the church. And Paul says, beware, beware, beware. That's why they are evil walkers. Evil is not simply a bad thing, but evil walkers are the ones who are introducing works into the gospel. They are the pure evil. Why? Because they do not enter And they shut the door upon everyone who's trying to enter. And Jesus Himself said, Woe to you. Galatians will say, Anathema, let Him be accursed. They are the mutilation because they are insisting upon circumcision. And they are the mutilation because apart from faith in Christ, you base your salvation upon. Circumcision, that's nothing but physical mutilation. So that is that. So today, he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And it will make better sense as we move along. But the solution remains the same. All of us, we are called to treasure this free grace of Jesus Christ. Let us firmly hold on to it. Let us believe it. Let that be your identity, sola fide, within the church and outside of the church as well. Let there be unity in this church by holding on to the free gospel of Jesus Christ let's pray